Becky asked me last night at tea time, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm preaching on gratitude. And she said this, she said, oh, I'm not surprised by that actually, Craig, because I've noticed you've been more grateful recently. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, in your prayers, we, we pray at bedtime and uh, probably six out of seven nights, it's me. And, and she had noticed that in the last few weeks, I had been more grateful. And the, the reason I'm preaching today on gratitude is not because I'm praying about it more. The reason I'm praying about it more is because I'm trying to be more grateful. Because at the minute, let's be honest, gratitude doesn't come easily. It is hard to be thankful right now. This past 12 months, it's taken its toll on every one of us. And it is much easier right now to grumble than to be grateful. It is much easier right now to whine than to worship. It doesn't take a lot of effort to find things to be critical about right now. It doesn't take a lot of effort to moan and complain right now. Do you know what does take intention? To be grateful, to be thankful, to worship. You know, I've said this before. Nobody plants weeds in their garden, but they grow anyway. We're doing some work at home in our garden at the minute. And it's amazing how weeds grow. We haven't planted them. We haven't put fertilizer on them or anything. But weeds just grow. The only way to stop weeds growing is to rip them out and replace them with something good. And it's exactly the same in our lives. Negativity grows easily. Anxiety grows easily. Criticism grows easily. Grumbling grows easily. And you know what? If we aren't intentional, if we don't make it a practice of our lives, those things will just keep growing and growing and growing. And they will take over our lives. But we can rip them out and we can replace them with things that are more healthy. And it's amazing because I love God's word because when God says be grateful, it's not on worship and things like that and be thankful. It's not just that he wants his ego stroked. It's because he knows the way we are made. There's something about worship and praise. There's something about thankfulness that actually mentally it releases serotonin within us. It releases happy hormones and it actually changes us and makes us more healthy. You know, negative people aren't a lot of fun to be around. Like, nobody goes, I'd love to meet somebody really negative today. And yet at the minute, it's, I think most of us, we're trying not to be negative, so we've just kind of flatlined. Like, the number of people have said, how are you doing? And they go, isn't that kind of the response at the minute? Like, what do you do? What do you do? You know, what do you do? I've just kind of said to myself 15 minutes ago, what do you do? Maybe what we do is we start, we start to practice gratitude. We start to practice that uh, thanksgiving that God notices. You know, thanksgiving is a little thing that makes a big difference in our world today because it is so absent. I have a friend called Brian from Dublin. About 35 years ago, he went on a trip to America. He was only visiting for a short time. He had a motorbike, went out in the motorbike, came off the motorbike, had a bad accident, ended up in hospital, and he didn't have health insurance, and so he ended up with this huge hospital bill, and he had to stay in America until he paid it off. He was from a four-generation painter and decorator family in inner city Dublin. And uh, one day he's sitting somewhere and he gets talking to someone and they're in real estate, they're an estate agent and he thinks, you know what, I could do that. And he, he goes and gets his real estate license and he starts from the bottom and he's a foreigner, he's, a, he's a, a, an immigrant. And, and, but very quickly, 
brand starts to do really well. In fact, within a few months, he starts beating everybody else in this huge real estate company and becomes the person who's top of selling houses. And people start to ask him what he does, and he he doesn't know what he's doing. Do you know what they discovered? That there was a habit in Brand's family that his dad and his granddad did. Whenever they went around and painted a house, they would send a wee card to the family and say, thank you for letting me paint your house. I hope it was... Hope you enjoyed it, hope, or hope you appreciated it. I hope, hope it was what you wanted. If there's any problems, give me a call. And that's what Brian would do. When Brian would show someone a house, he would send them a card. Thank you for letting me show a house. When he would sell a house, he would send them a card. Thank you for letting me sell your house. And it was so rare that people started to talk about this estate agent who sends cards. And people started to refer Brian to their friends. And people started to... And, and suddenly he had more work than he knew what to do with. Do you know why? Because he sent little cards. Do you know Brian now? Well, he's, he's largely retired. He's one of the top real estate... Tra- he's the top real estate trainer in the United States of America today. Why? Because he sent little cards. And that's what he teaches all his people to do. Send little cards. And it's amazing because it is such a rare thing in our world today to show gratitude. It's a small thing, but it makes such a big difference. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Because can I be honest with you? I am not thankful for COVID. And you will not convince me, even with chocolate cake, to say thank you for COVID right now, okay? I'm not thankful for lockdown. I am not thankful for all of the stuff that has happened over the last 12 months. And I I, I can say that I'm not going to be thankful. But you know what I can be? I can be thankful in it. I don't have to be thankful for it, but I can choose to be thankful in it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, you're with me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Most of us would love the dark valley and the enemies to be gone before we worship. But David says, no, in the dark valley and in the presence of my enemies, I can still praise you. And then he says this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I get asked so often, what do you think God's will for my life is? And they're thinking of, should I marry this person? And should I do this job? And should I do this? And should... Do you know what God's will is? Thankfulness. Let's... Let's be obedient to his revealed will before we start looking for the will that he's hidden from us. God's will for you is gratitude. God's will for you is thankfulness. Why? Because it is a big deal to God. God notices gratitude. Look at verse, or Luke 17 with me. Let's look at Luke 17, verses 11 to 13 to begin with. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us, or most translations say, have mercy on us. So this is Jesus' final journey towards Jerusalem. We're coming up to Easter. This was his journey towards Jerusalem where he was going to be crucified. And he's on the outskirts. He's on this little bit of territory, on the the outskirts of Samaritan territory, which, which most Jews did. And he's walking along. And there's these 10 guys who have leprosy, which is unusual. I mean, you'd kind of today, they would do a study to see if there'd been like uh, some sort of nuclear reactor. or why, why do all the people in this area have leprosy? But the reason they had leprosy was they were a colony of lepers. This was their bubble. Because they had to social distance from everyone else. 
And most of you will have heard sermons about leprosy before, where it was a, a, it started with, with normally actually on your, it could be in the corners of your eyes and on your skin, and then it began to spread through you. And the greatest thing about leprosy wasn't even that it was a, it would eat up your, your, you, eat you from the insides out. I mean, it was a death sentence. The worst thing about leprosy were two things. The first one was that you would go numb. You would have no sensation in your body. You could close your hand on a vice grip. And you wouldn't feel a thing. And many lepers died because they had accidents and didn't realize they had accidents. But the worst thing of all was the social exclusion. You were completely socially isolated. Not just for a week or two or for a month or two. For the rest of your life because it was considered to be a highly contagious disease. You couldn't go near your family. You couldn't go near your kids. You couldn't hug your kids ever again. If you went near anyone, you had to shout, unclean, unclean. You see, other diseases were healed. Leprosy was cleansed because you were considered dirty. So not only was there the physical element, but there was a religious stigma to it. That you were somehow cursed by God. And we have these ten men who have grouped together. It's amazing what brings people together sometimes, isn't it? People are brought together by music sometimes. You know, goths and different types of people who, who like music, they... They connect with each other. People are brought together by sports, sports fans. People are brought together by, by church. You know, our faith in Christ brings us together. People are also brought together by sickness. Sometimes people who have the same condition group together. Sometimes they choose to. These guys didn't have a choice. If they were ever going to speak to anyone ever again, they had to be part of this little colony of, of, of ten lepers. And somehow they've heard about Jesus. You see, earlier on in Luke's chapter 5, Jesus touches a man who has leprosy. Now, everybody knew you didn't do that. You kept your distance from them. But Jesus touched this man who had leprosy. But the incredible thing is this. When Jesus touched the man, he didn't get what the man got. The man got what Jesus had. I love that about Jesus. He didn't become unclean, but the man became clean. When Jesus touches you, he doesn't get what you've got. You get what he's got. You get his righteousness. You get his perfection. You get his sinlessness. And Jesus touched this man. And I don't know if he's walking along one day and he sees these ten guys and he goes, guys, if Jesus ever comes past, don't miss your chance. I don't know if that's what happened. But these ten men somehow knew that they had to watch out for Jesus. They couldn't go and find him, but they knew that if, if if the opportunity ever arose, that they would reach out to him. You know, one of the, the, the researchers in the scientists are showing that one of the hardest things at the minute is touch deprivation. That as well as the social isolation of, of the last year, people miss being touched. People miss hugs more than anything. Some of you are like, I hate hugs. You've probably enjoyed the last year. But, you know... People, people have actually formed bubbles in like, places like New York. I was reading this actually in the New York Times yesterday. With people they don't know that well. And they said they just wanted to hug them, which is weird for us, right? To hug a stranger. But they said it was weird the first three or four times, but then they got used to it. Because they just, some of them are sleeping with weighted blankets on them. Just so that they can almost feel like they're being embraced. There's something within humans that we long for touch. In fact, premature babies who 
you'd think with a premature baby, you need to be super careful about touching it. They found that those who are massaged a little bit more firmly actually grow quicker and better because the touch releases something within them. We were created for touch. And I don't know what the outcome of this year is going to be. We've we've taught generations of people in this community that touch is dangerous. I don't know what the ramifications and implications are going to be for for the next decade. As we've taught children that it's dangerous to hug their grandparents. I think there's something horrendous about that. I really do. But we were made to know touch. And these men, these lepers, touch was part of their history. They were never going to experience touch ever, ever, ever again. And Jesus comes along and they shout, Jesus, have mercy on us. In other words, we don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. Anything that happens right now is because of your mercy. What a picture of our own lives. That we aren't tainted by leprosy, but we're tainted by sin. That sin started small in our lives, but it started to take over. And eventually they reached the point where many of us became desensitized to sin. The way they were desensitized in leprosy. Things that we used to do that that we would feel guilty about, we no longer feel guilty about. It was just part of our life. And and it was a death sentence and we had no way out. Except that the Son of God came along. And he had mercy on us. And he didn't just heal us from leprosy. He saved us from our sin. What a wonderful saviour. What a wonder. He touched us in our impurity and made us holy and made us righteous and made us clean. And he embraces us in all our ugliness with all his loveliness and he covers us with his robe of righteousness. What a wonderful saviour. What a wonderful friend. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, when he saw the ten lepers, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. As they went... They were cleansed. This is fascinating. In this situation, Jesus doesn't even touch them. He doesn't even tell them they're healed. He just says, go to the priest. In those days, the priest was the one that, if you began to get leprosy, you went to the priest. He would examine you. If he noticed there were certain, this is in Leviticus Leviticus 14, if he noticed there were some little spots forming, he would quarantine you for a week. You would have to go back a week later. He would examine them to see if it spread, and he would be the one who would diagnose you the priest. So Jesus here says, the one who diagnosed you, go back to the doctor, doctor priest. Go back to the one and see if you're clean. Now, here's the thing. At that moment, they looked exactly the same. Their skin was still scaly and broken and full of sores. They felt exactly the same. And yet they moved. And yet they moved. It took faith and obedience to move. You know, it made no sense. It made no sense whatsoever. I would have wanted to stay there and then. And when I noticed the difference, then I would have moved. No, that's not what they did. They moved because Jesus told them to move. And then it says this, as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. Sometimes God does that in our lives. He says, if you will take a step of obedience, if you will take a step of faith, if you move, I will move. You see that at the Jordan River? Put your foot in and the water will stop. Remember when they were crossing over into the, the promised land? I had said, God, stop the water and I'll put my foot in. To the lame man, the man with the withered hand, he says, reach out your hand. I had said, heal my hand and I'll reach it out. 
God often asks us to do something first. And as we move in obedience, and as we move in faith, heaven moves with us. And I don't know where it was, whether it was a mile down the road, or a hundred meters down the road, or ten miles down the road that they were healed. And I don't know if it was a gradual thing, that they noticed their skin starting to get better, or if it was just instant. But somewhere along the walk, they discovered that they were healed. And isn't that the way it happens sometimes? That as you are walking, you get healed. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Have you ever found that you've been struggling with something in your life? Struggling to forgive somebody? And if you sit and think about it and think about it, nothing happens. But if you start to walk and start to just get on with serving God and start to keep obeying what you know, one day you sit and go, I don't feel angry towards them anymore. I don't know why. It's just been lifted off me. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a compulsion. And it's been troubling you for years. And then suddenly you go, you know what? I haven't had the desire to do that for two months. As you walked, you were healed. And sometimes that's what happens. It's just a gradual thing. And you discover that as you do what Jesus is calling you to do, as you walk in obedience and faith, you look back and you go, I'm not the same person as I was back there. I've changed. Something has shifted. Something has changed. And as they walked, they were healed. Can you imagine how they felt? Look at verses 15, 16. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, one of them. You know, it's funny, when I read a story like this, and nine didn't return and one did, I always put myself in the place of the one who did. Like, I never think I'm one of the nine. Do you? Like, let's be honest. We We always think I'd have been the one who went back. There's a one in ten, or there's a nine in ten chance that it wasn't you who went back. Okay. One of them went back and says he was a Samaritan. He was an outsider. In other words, if the lepers were outsiders, he was an outsider among the lepers. He was the outsider among the outsiders. It didn't get much more outsider than a, than a, than, than a leper Samaritan. And he's walking along with the other nine. And I'm sure he looked down at the same time as them. And he noticed that something has changed. And the other nine are like, we're going to the priest. We want to be declared clean. We want to get back with our families. And this Samaritan looks down and he goes, I, I have to go back. And they're like, come with us. And he's like, I, I'm sorry. I have to go back. I have to go back and say thank you. I have to go back. Look at what he's done. I have to go back. And it says he went back. And it says he fell at Jesus' feet. He praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. A few things here. He praises God. Think about that. Jesus healed him and he praises God. This Samaritan, this outsider, recognized God in Jesus. And he praised him in a loud voice. 
Some people will say to me, Craig, I came to hope and it was too loud. And I go, that's fine, but you'll probably not love heaven. Because I've been studying Revelation recently, and you know what? Heaven is loud. There's only one time it says there's silence in heaven, and that was for half an hour. And that was in between judgments. Now, I'm sure there's a nice wee sort of Church of Ireland Presbyterian sort of room somewhere down there. For, but, but heaven is loud. The praise never stops. The worship never stops. The angels never stop crying. It's just music and there's noise and there's loudness. God is not, not deaf. Nobody's not timid either. And heaven is a place of loudness and praise. And this, this, this guy comes in and he falls at Jesus' feet and he's expressive. He falls, he expresses it not just with his lips but with his body. And you go, I couldn't do that, I'm Northern Irish. And I go, have you ever been at a football match or a rugby match or a concert? It's not that you won't do it, it's just that you won't do it here. Because you are expressive. You're just not expressive towards God. You're expressive towards 11 men or 15 men on a field running around in shorts. But not to the Son of God who died for you. Not to pile on the guilt, but just telling you as it is. Some of you are the most expressive people in other places, yet you come to church and you become all like, I'm not expressive. Yes, you are. You just haven't trained yourself to be expressive here. Too convicting. Let's move on. We're so self-conscious, but aren't we? We're so self-conscious. It's just a thing here we have, you know. I'll do the one hand. I'll do the other hand. I'll do it here. I'll do it here. That's as far as I'm going. I'm never going any further. God, look at me. Look at me. I'm being extravagant in my worship. I read a story about a lady who... Her name was Helen Lemel. She was born in England. Her parents were, her dad was a Methodist minister. And when she was 12, they moved to the States. And she was really well known for her singing. She, she sang all over America. She was really musical. When she was in her 20s, she married the man she thought of her dreams, a European wealthy businessman. She, she sang at, at some of the big theological seminaries, some of the concert halls all over America. But then something happened to her. In her 30s, she contracted some sort of illness and went blind. And when she went blind, her husband decided he didn't want a blind wife. And so he left her. And living alone in a one-room apartment, living on welfare, she started to write hymns. For the next 50 years, she wrote hymns. Well, actually, she didn't write them because she was blind. She would call her friends at... And shout there, all times of the day and night, she would wake her friends up and say, Write this down, I've had words of a hymn. But you know what the hymn is she's most famous for? This blind woman. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Think about this a blind woman who was less concerned and less self-conscious with her blindness and more concerned with fixing her eyes on Jesus. We need to get over ourselves, folks. We need to get over ourselves. Nobody's watching you. Nobody cares what you're doing. We need to learn to express ourselves in worship. 
When we see worship in scripture, nobody is ever sitting or standing like this. It's I, I, I lift my hands, I raise my voice, I dance before the Lord. Some of us need to just get over ourselves and realize that actually, you know what? If we're really going to express our gratitude to God, it's not just going to be with nice, polite words. It's actually got to be with our lives. Look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus asked, we're not all the ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus asks two questions. And when Jesus asks questions, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's making a point. He says, were there not ten? Where's the other nine? He says, I healed ten, but only one came back. One, ten received, but one returned. Ten received, but one returned. Jesus notices gratitude, and you know what? He also notices lack of gratitude. Where's the other nine? Let me ask you, were the other nine grateful? The other nine who had been cleansed, were they grateful? Yes, yes, they were. Of course they were. They just didn't express it. They were grateful, but they just didn't express it. Gratitude without expression is like faith without works is dead. You see, so many of us are grateful, we just don't express it. Oh, but I'm, 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 I'm thankful deep down in my heart, really. Because my Bible says that out of the, the mouth, the heart speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what my Bible says. So it might be deep down in your heart, but actually if it's really there, it'll come out of your mouth. Thanksgiving not expressed is not thanksgiving. This would transform some of your marriages, you know. Some of you have been married for 40 years and you've taken each other for granted. Just start to thank you. Maybe you are thankful for dinner every night. Maybe you are thankful for a clean house. But you just assume that they know. Maybe there's something about expressing it. Most marriages don't fall apart because of one big act of adultery or whatever. Most marriages fall apart just because over time they become like two strangers living in the same house because there's no expression of gratitude. They take each other for granted. Gratitude and thankfulness is not just something you feel, it's something you express. And this is really important today. I'll tell you why. We live in a culture of entitlement. Becky and I have talked about this sometimes. Where where we see younger people in different professions coming through. And there's a sense of entitlement. You know what entitlement says? I'm owed this. I deserve this. This is my right. And in the last year, there's been a lot of good we've seen in our community over the last year. But you know what I've also noticed? A sense of entitlement. I deserve a pay raise. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But once we start saying, I deserve, I'm entitled to it, we need to be really careful. I have had that in my own heart at different times, I can tell you. I have had times when I felt I was entitled to things that I didn't get. And you know what it's led to? It's led to disappointment. It's led to offense building up in my heart. It's led to discouragement and at times even mild depression. Because I, I allowed my entitlement to define how I related to others when they didn't give me what I felt I was entitled to from them. You know what you're entitled to? Hell. 
if we really want to get down to it, sorry guys, if you're watching for the first time, sometimes we're cheerier than this, okay? Um, sometimes. But that is, that's what we're entitled to. If you really want what you're entitled to, say, God, give me what I'm entitled to. Or do you want his mercy? I don't want what I'm entitled to. And it's just something we need to be aware of at the minute or in our culture. I'm entitled to that grant. I'm entitled to that. Maybe you are, and I'm not saying what, let people walk. I'm not saying don't, don't get what you, what you should get. I'm just saying we need to be really careful with our language when we start saying I'm entitled to. As Christians, you know what? We are a people who live in another kingdom. We're a people of another set of values. And maybe we are entitled to it, maybe we're not. But we're a people whose hearts are not consumed with receiving, but on returning. And that's what this guy, you see, nine or ten received, only one returned. Christians are people who don't just receive. Yes, we need to get good at receiving, and I taught about this recently, but we need to also return. And you know what's returned? Do you know what happened? Jesus said something to this guy. Jesus noticed and Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well. Verse 19, your faith. The better translation is saved you or made you whole. It's the word sozo, salvation. Because he wasn't entitled. I heard a story about a man who bumped into his friend at the shop one day. He hadn't seen him in years. And the man was obviously in a foul mood. And his friend couldn't understand it because he thought he'd be delighted to see him. But the man was in a foul mood. And his friend said, look, what's wrong with you? What's the trouble? He said, oh, let me tell you. My uncle died three weeks ago and left me £40,000. Really? Yeah, and the week after that, a cousin I hardly knew died and left me £85,000. Then last week, one of my great aunts passed away and left me a quarter of a million pounds. You've got to be kidding me, his friend said. Why the long face? This week, nothing. Nothing this week. I got nothing. That's entitlement, folks. That's entitlement. Entitlement will make you miserable. Gratitude will make you joyful and appreciative of what God has given you. You need to be careful of that, folks, in this culture. Let's finish. So Jesus says to him, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. You see, the other... I don't know what this means. Because we've already read that all ten were healed. So what did he get that they didn't? They were healed, they were cleansed, all ten. And he was saved and made whole. I don't know, maybe it's eternal salvation. Maybe it's a place in heaven. Scholars and all the commentaries I read don't know. But what I do know is this. That there was something that he received that the other nine didn't. There was some measure of blessing, spiritual blessing, something that this one guy received that the other nine didn't because they didn't come back and weren't grateful. And you know what that tells me? That there is a a blessing reserved for those who are thankful and grateful that the other nine were oblivious to. They had no idea they missed out on something. They just wanted to get to the priest. But this one guy came back and he accessed, he, his gratitude unlocked something within Jesus. It unlocked a blessing. It unlocked something that he got that the other nine didn't. And I don't know what that is, but you know what? 
I want everything God has to give me. I don't want to miss out because of lack of gratitude. I want it all. And you know what the, the wonderful thing about the kingdom is? They all received. He returned. And what happened? He received. That's the kingdom. We receive from God. We return to him. And we receive. It's a cycle. We receive money from God. We return it and we receive. We receive gifts from God. We return it and we serve and we receive. And when the blockage comes, it's never at his end, it's at my end. When I stop returning, I stop receiving. But there's this beautiful channel and conduit element of God's kingdom that as we receive, we return and we receive. We don't return to receive, but it's just the nature of the kingdom. It's a law of the kingdom. And only we can stop it. And I don't know what he got, but I want all that God has for me. See, happiness is not about accumulation. It's about appreciation. Our culture tells us happiness is about accumulation. It's not. Some of the most miserable people in our world have the most. And some of the happiest people have the least. (laughs) We had a really funny situation this week at Hobart. A week or so ago, Hannah had come out to our house, our, our children's worker, and she was recording a video like that one today. And she said, to Elijah, have you a dressing gown? And Elijah said, no. But something within him at that moment said, I would love a dressing gown. <laughs> He's eight, okay? And so Elijah for days kept going on, I would love a dressing gown. And with him, it has to be black. And uh, we went on to Amazon, and, uh, and I found a really fluffy kind of warm dressing and, and I'd ordered it, but Becky didn't tell him I'd ordered it. She told him, if you clean your room, we'll get you a dressing gown. But I'd already ordered it. And uh, this dressing gown arrived on Friday. And if you'd have seen, like if you'd see him, it's a dressing gown. And he, he loves it. If I, he, he thanks me 15 times a day for this dressing gown. I could have spent a thousand pounds on something and he'd have been like, thanks, Dad, and that would have been it. A 15 pound dressing gown. And he loves it. He loves it. At night he puts it on his chair. And he said to me last night, Dad, notice I don't want any of it touching the ground. And he pats it and he folds it. And it's the only thing he's folded in his entire life. And, and it's really soft and fluffy so he can rub it. It means I don't have to buy him a dog. It's like stroking a dog. And it's just it's amazing. I might even get the stop at you lot. You have no idea how close we have come recently. Um, but and I just thought, you know what? I wonder if that's why Jesus said to me, you've got to become like little children. Because little children don't appreciate the things we appreciate. And they appreciate things we would never appreciate. I've never got excited about a dressing gown in my life. And our eight-year-old just loves his dressing gown. And I wonder if it's just the simple things that we're meant to appreciate. And you know what I was thinking? Imagine this, if Jesus hadn't died. Imagine if this leper 30 years later had been walking down the road and he saw Jesus. How do you think he would have responded? I think he'd have done exactly the same again. He would have thrown himself at Jesus' feet and worshipped. And that challenges me who's been a Christian for 30 years. Because I know I don't respond now the way I used to. And I know my worship at times is weaker and my gratitude is less. And I know that sometimes my heart is cold and my disobedience isn't as quick. And I just, I, I want to, I want to be like that spiritual child again sometimes. I miss it. I miss the zeal. I miss the passion. I miss the desire to share the gospel with every single person I meet. I miss that. I never want to get over what Christ has done. He didn't take away my leprosy. He took away my sin. And he didn't do it with a word. He did it by hanging on a cross. 
And he didn't just cleanse me in this life, but he cleansed me for eternity. And I am so grateful, but I need to express that gratitude. And I pray that each of us, each of us, would be a people not known for grumbling, but for gratitude. Not for whinging and whining, but for worship. Because there's something about that that attracts the attention of God. And I want all that he has. And I want to return it, and I want to receive it. And I want to return it, and I want to receive it. Anything I give to him already is his. I'm just returning it to him. Let's be a grateful people. At a time when there's so much ingratitude, at a time when there's so much to be complaining about, how do we set ourselves apart? being a people who go, you know what, life's not perfect, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what I've got. And I'm thankful for a God in heaven who has saved me.